This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of For Real is brought to you by TBR tailored book recommendations. TBR is Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Tired of wasting money on books you end up not loving? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for, and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is. Or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Eukera. We're recording on Thursday, March 26th. Hello, Kim. Hello, Alice. How are you today? <laughs> oh, you know, surviving. How are you? I am extremely tired, but also surviving. But we're going to talk about books. We are. That's very that's very exciting. I do like talking about books. What an energizing topic. Um, did you participate in the 24 and 48 social distancing readathon this past weekend? I wish just I wish so much that I could say yes that I did, but I didn't. I have not picked up a book and read more than like two pages in almost two weeks. It's been a really hard time for me to read. So, no, I didn't. But you did and it looked like it was fun. I ended up doing like six to seven hours of reading. I, <laughs> Despite being home, I feel like there's stuff to do. And so I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, I was like, oh, I've got to do this and this. I've also been very obsessed with RuPaul's Drag Race and watching all of the seasons. Um, So that's taken up a lot of time. But yeah. That's a good comfort TV show, I think. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and then uh, my other, like, comfort thing right now has been um, this little uh, phone game called Monument Valley, where you're, like, a little person, and you have to walk them through these puzzles, and they look like M.C. Escher paintings, and it is uh, just very soothing. So, yeah. Oh, I might download – I've been doing Matchington Mansion – but Ooh. I might do Monument Valley. That sounds fun. It does cost $3, which seemed a little absurd to me at first, but it has absolutely been worth every single dollar. $3 is really, it's not very much when you think about it in the grand scheme of things. Yes, true. Oh, we should, okay, so we have, of course, been talking around the fact that COVID-19 is <laughs> sweeping the globe. Um, if you are interested in reading about kind of updates from the bookish world as it has been affected by COVID-19, um, you can check out bookriot.com slash 2020 slash zero three. This is silly. Okay, look up book <laughs> updates. <laughs> From the bookish world. Look up Book Riot COVID-19 and you're going to find our uh, page about it, um, which is going to have like a really nice curated section of all the links so you don't have to go like weeding through a lot of other topics related to this um, virus. 
So, yeah. Did you have any other kind of follow-up? Um, no, I don't think so. Just uh, the warning ahead of time that I have read almost no books lately. And so most of this podcast is flying off the seat of my pants. And I hope that, that people will forgive me for that one. But my job has been extremely stressful for the last few weeks. So. It's going to be so fun. We're going to talk about what some new <laughs> books are about, what some old books are about. And it's going to be great. Yeah. We're going to do it. It's going to be great. All right. But before we get into all of that, we will do our other sponsor. Uh, so we're all, this week, we're also sponsored by Libro FM, which is a service that lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and some of the hottest new audiobook releases like Margaret Atwood's new book, The Testaments, The Starless Sea by Erin Morgenstern, Children of Virtue and Vengeance by Tomi Adeyemi, and Over the Top by Queer Eyes' Jonathan Van Ness. Uh, with Libro FM, you get the same audiobooks at the same price as that big audiobook company out there. Uh, listeners of For Real can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. You can sign up with code BR3 at Libro.fm before Saturday, April 25th, and then you'll get two extra audiobooks delivered that day uh, in celebration of Independent Bookstore Day, a one-day party taking place at local bookstores all across the country. Uh, at least we hope that by then we will get to do that. Uh, <laughs> Independent Bookstore Day is a day to celebrate the unique ways your local bookstore and booksellers contribute to your community. That's Libro.fm, code BR3 to get three months of audiobooks for the price of one. Uh, and I will say that I have used the service for quite a while and I love it. It's great. I get to support a local bookstore here in St. Paul and uh, makes me happy to be able to do that. So we thank them for sponsoring this episode. Uh, and so this week for nonfiction news, I think we just have one kind of, I guess it's sort of follow up to actually, um, you found this link, so I'm going to toss it to you to give us a summary, Alice. Oh, yeah. So essentially, um, we were talking last time about how Woody Allen's memoir that was purchased um, by Achette, uh, then they had a, a staff walkout and they ended up basically saying, we're not going to publish it. So another publisher <laughs> uh, has decided to just publish it, which, you know, uh, in the words of Tatiana from Drag Race, choices. Um <laughs> But it's such a good show. Uh, anyway, no, so I looked up this publisher um, because the article that I read was very, it seemed very biased in Woody Allen's favor to a point that I was like, this is weird. And um, it had some somewhat incendiary, or maybe not incendiary, I'm going to say condescending comments from um, someone who uh, basically founded this or co-founded this imprint. And it says that uh, the person who was quoted, Jeanette Seaver, um, her partner was Richard Seaver, who apparently uh, became, quote, legendary. I think that this bio, the way it reads, was written by Jeanette Seaver. But he became legendary for championing unconventional writers in the face of censorship and cultural prudishness. <laughs> so... Um, the, the cultural prudishness is what makes me think Macmillan did not write it. Uh, it's on their website. <laughs> but, um, essentially, <sighs> you know, there's, there's all kinds of people. They're going to do all kinds of things. And all we can really do is not buy his book. So... I did think it was interesting that this company that bought it just sort of published it without really making a big deal about it. Like, they didn't announce it. They didn't promote it. It just kind of happened, um, which seems weird. Like, you either, like, know that you're doing something strange or 
I, like, I don't know why you would, would do it that way, but... Um, it seems like a contrarian gesture, is what I'm, I'm going to say on that. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, Woody Allen's memoir probably published by someone, and don't buy it, because <laughs> why? <laughs> is that the kind of short and long of it, I guess? Yeah, that's a good sum up. All right, then. So we will move on to something more fun, which is new books. And we're going to try – I think we're trying – we're doing a little bit more than normal because March has been, like, a really hard month for people to be publishing new books. So we thought maybe we'd spend a little more time on new books this week to try and help some of the authors that um, that are publishing during a really, really trying time and having book tours canceled and all of that. So my first March book to talk about is called Shorter, Work Better, Smarter, and Less. Here's How by Alex Sujung Kim Pang. Um, and this uh, Sujung Kim Pang is an author that I have read a couple of both of his books, previous books. Um, one is called The Distraction Addiction, and it was all about developing mindful use of your devices. And his second book was called Rest, which is basically just about how important it is to rest for creativity and growth and how much rest contributes to like success in other areas of your life. Um, and so in this book, um, he writes about how uh, this book, Shorter, came out of a lot of the things he was learning in rest and the things that he kind of talked to people about when he was on his tour for that book and um, started to look a lot into how companies are are shifting to models that um, allow employees to work shorter numbers of hours without actually cutting salaries. And it turns out when you do that, you don't sacrifice productivity either if you do that in a smart and um, clear way. And so um, the whole book is about these companies and kind of doing some case studies and that kind of thing about people who have gone down to four-hour or four-day work weeks or, um, you know, cut daily hours and that kind of thing. Um and how they use uh, different strategies like reducing distractions, um, eliminating inefficiency, and doing that creates time for focus and collaboration. And so um, they're able to do everything that they were able to do before while still giving their employees more time to themselves and outside of the office. Um, so I, I did actually start this one, and it was really interesting. But um, at a time when I'm having <laughs> to work more than normal, uh, it was frustrating me to read about people who are working less than normal because uh, I was very jealous of that them and how successful that all seems like it's going for some of those kind of knowledge worker kinds of companies. So not quite like the mood for it for now, but I am super interested in this idea. So um, that is Shorter, Work Better, Smarter, and Less. Here's How by Alex Sujung Kim Ping. Yeah, that's, uh, I guess that's an interesting book for right now. Because yeah. <laughs> I keep reading articles that are like, you don't have to be productive right now. And I'm like, thank you, article. It's so hard. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no. But in the in the general, that's, is that a phrase? Uh, mm -hmm. I Like when the world is normal. Um, I think that that sounds great. Um, my pick is also related to office work. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Um, so I, I'm really, really loving this. Uh, it's called The Office, The Untold Story of the Greatest Sitcom of the 2000s, An Oral History by Andy Green. It's out March 24th from Dutton. So this is, it's an oral history, right? So this means that he, con Andy Green, conducted over 90 interviews, like new interviews with um, cast, creators, uh wardrobe people hair designers is that a thing um basically anyone connected with the show and has it as like just a lot of 
it's like a line of quotes. Like you'll have like a section, like we're going to talk about the episode, The Injury, which is where Michael burned his foot on a George Foreman grill. And then you'll have like quotes from like Mike Schur, who at the time was a writer on the show. And then like Rain Wilson, who, you know, was Dwight. And just talking about their perspective on that episode or on the topic that they're like talking about. And it's so interesting if you like The Office, which I think the majority of Americans do. It sort of like gives you all this behind the scenes stuff that for me has sometimes when you talk about, you know, like how something gets made, it ruins it a little bit because then like you're watching it and you're like, oh, now I like know the backstory of this. But um, for me, it's only kind of added depth to it. And there's so much love behind the people who are talking about it. They clearly knew that they were making something really beloved and awesome and special. And um, it kind of gives you some more insight into why it resonates with people so much. So and they talked about how like, until then, um, a lot of shows were joke driven and the office, the comedy there is more like behavioral. So that's why they allow for these like long, awkward pauses in it. There's one that's like, I think like a minute and 20 seconds or something. And it's just silent. And it's so awkward and painful and so good. And um, I just, I don't know. I'm like, it's a really good comfort read right now, too, because it's like diving into this show that's already a comfort show and then just like giving you information on the thing you love if you love The Office. So again, that is The Office, the untold story of the greatest sitcom of the 2000s by Andy Green. That does sound very, very soothing. Um because I've discovered, like, this year, one of the things I, I now love that I didn't think I would love is, like, TV recap podcasts. So, like, podcasts that will recap an episode of television after you've watched it. I, I like, was not interested in that until this year. And this sounds like it might be, like, a book version of that kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that sounds amazing. What a good pick. I definitely want to read that one. Um, all right. So my um, next pick is actually the very last book I read like two weeks ago. And it's called Black Widow, A Sad Funny Journey Through Grief for People Who Normally Avoid Books with Words Like Journey in the Title by Leslie Gray Streeter. Um, and this is a memoir sort of essay collection. Um, it's a memoir, but it reads a little bit like essays to me um, by a woman who lost her husband to a sudden heart attack when um, she was in her early it was either late 30s or early 40s. I'm blanking on which one now. But um, so she writes this book looking at widowhood through she is a black woman and married to a Jewish man. And so she writes a lot about um, race and their mixed marriage and kind of what that was like and then how that affected her widowhood. Um, the first chapter is about trying to figure out like where in the cemetery he would be buried and how complicated that was because of sort of her black Baptist background and then his Jewish background and like how different um, grief uh, traditions affect some of those choices. Um, also about aging, um, one of the threads of the story is about their adoptive son and how they were in the process of adopting him when her husband died and how she continued on with that after he passed and kind of what that was like trying to grapple with being a widow but also trying to become a mom um, to this boy that they had been fostering for a long time. Um, there's a lot in it about family and love and grief, um, but it was also super funny in a, <laughs> a really kind of dark way. Um, and I... I think one of the reasons that it um, resonated with me is because in this time of COVID and everything, I think we're all kind of having this experience of like collectively experiencing grief about losing something. And we're all kind of experiencing this COVID quarantine and however it is in your place differently. But I feel like we're all, we're all we've, we've all lost something, whether it's 
the sense of security or whether it's something really tangible, like a, a fun event that we didn't get to do or whatever. Um, but that like, we're also experiencing some really funny things right now and, um, finding things also to be really grateful for. And that kind of stuff is a lot of what this memoir is about. And so I think some of that kind of resonated with me, maybe a little bit ahead of kind of fully experiencing those feelings as part of like what's happening to us all now. And I just, I really liked it. I thought she, she's such a, she's a very funny writer and it seems like it shouldn't be funny to read a book on being a widow, but it actually is. Um, and just also very moving and um, thoughtful and, um, and good. So I really, uh, I really liked this one, even if it is a little bit sad, but I think maybe something that's a little bit sad is how we're all feeling right now. So uh, that is Black Widow, A Sad Funny Journey Through Grief for People Who Normally Avoid Books with Words Like Journey in the Title by Leslie Gray Streeter. Uh, two things. One, Kim, that was so poignant and good. <laughs> like, great job. Oh, my gosh. Oh, thanks. Uh, number two, that subtitle is so great. I know, isn't it? I really, that is why kind of what sold me on it was that subtitle is really funny. Also, I know, I mean, as a nonfiction podcaster, we are both aware that the word journey is frequently used in uh, titles for nonfiction, especially. But I I have to admit, I think I overuse that word myself as I feel mm-hmm. it's just it's it's an easy one to reach for. So yeah. way to way to call that out, ma'am. <laughs> Um, my next pick, so I talked about this in Book Riot's nonfiction newsletter, True Story, um, but I want to talk about it again because it seems like a uh, a hot book of the season and one that I was not granted access to because I am not of British royalty descent. I don't know why. Um, but it is Lady in Waiting, My Extraordinary Life in the Shadow of the Crown by Anne Glenn Connor. Um, it's out from Achette, March 24th. This book, okay, so first of all, if you're just, like, into things like The Crown, I feel like this is a no-brainer read. Um, I tend to be somewhat suspect of royal tell-all type books. You know, like, mm-hmm. I was the butler to the blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm just like, okay, you're trying to make money. <laughs> uh, what is her name? Anne Glenn Connor is 87. And I feel, <laughs> I feel like she's just doing this because she was like, ah, uh, I have some stories to tell. So, yeah. yeah. So at that point, um, and she does. So who she is, because I had never heard of her, was she had from childhood been friends with uh, now Queen Elizabeth II and Princess Margaret, which if you know anything about that family, Princess Margaret, real handful. Um, So then she ended up being the lady and a lady in waiting to Princess Margaret until Princess Margaret died in 2002. So for like decades and decades. And so she basically talks about um, her time as being one of her uh, Princess Margaret's closest confidants. And then also this like 54 year marriage to Lord Glenn Connor, who <laughs> I know. He just sounds like a jerk. He sounds like a jerk. And uh, he left his fortune to a former servant. Um, and then she had uh, two of her sons die in uh, as adults. A third son she nursed back from a six-month coma after this motorcycle accident. And then, like, she's also hanging out with Mick Jagger and David Bowie. And you're just like, what is your life? So um, I'm very, very interested to get my hands on this. It just sounds really uh, fun and interesting and like a a viewpoint that we don't always get a sort of peek into. And unless, again, it is kind of written for uh, more of a, a salacious look, which 
I mean, who knows? Maybe she's a salacious 87-year-old lady, but um, <laughs> we'll see. So that is Lady in Waiting, My Extraordinary Life in the Shadow of the Crown by Anne Glenn Connor. So in my head, this lady is like Angela Lansbury, and she's like sitting down at a typewriter being like, I have some stories to tell. <laughs> uh, that's In my head, that, that story is amazing because this book sounds really funny. So, oh man, excellent. Good pick. So uh, my uh, next pick is one that I mentioned, I think, in our first podcast of the year as a book we were, a book I was excited about reading. Uh, it's called Wine Girl, The Obstacles, Humiliations, and Triumphs of America's Youngest Sommelier by Victoria James. Uh, and this is a memoir by a young woman who became a sommelier at a Michelin-starred restaurant when she was 21 years old, which is bananas because the sommelier certification and everything is very hard and uh, takes a lot of time and energy and talent at wine stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, that was, that was good. Um, so she, uh, the memoir is about how she, um, you know, is working in restaurants selling these extremely expensive bottles of wine and getting all sorts of, you know, accolades for being this young woman in an industry. Um, but then also the experiences she was having with uh, patrons who would grope her and bosses who abused their roles and all of these kinds of things. And so um, the memoir is about her hitting rock bottom in some way and then kind of reemerging uh, as herself and in a restaurant of her own. And um, I haven't gotten to pick this one up yet, but it just sounded really good, and all of the comparisons were interesting, and I read a little bit of the beginning, and um, her writing is really fun. So um, I'm excited about this one. It seems like it might be a nice kind of brain break of a book, potentially. So uh, that is Wine Girl, The Obstacles, Humiliations, and Triumphs of America's Youngest Sommelier by Victoria James. I probably said this in our January episode, but that reminds me of Girl on the Block by Jessica Ragg about the, um, the girl who was a butcher. And kind of, like, Mm -hmm. did her whole, like, backstory about how she became a butcher. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, Okay, so my other new pick is Rebel Cinderella from Rags to Riches to Radical, The Epic Journey of Rose Pastor Stokes by Adam Hawkschild. It was out March 3rd from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Um, Rose Pastor Stokes lived a life. If we're talking about, uh, it's you know what, it's Women's History Month, so this is all very appropriate that we're talking about multiple ladies and their histories. So Rose Pastor Stokes, she um, came to New York in 1903 as a Jewish refugee from Russia, um, and she worked in cigar factories uh, since the age of 11. So like, you're 11 years old, it's 19-whatever at the time, and then you just go to work. So she becomes really good at working in cigar factories. And so she, like, is getting paid a little bit better, but whatever. But she is very aware of workers' rights. And that's right around the time where all of these big strikes are happening and, like, socialism is, like, having its moment at the beginning of the 20th century. So she meets this uh, this man named James Graham Phelps Stokes, which, if you can't tell from his many names, was a very rich. <laughs> and he was part – his family was part of – you know, they had this – um Mrs. Astor or whoever had, like, the the 400, like, New York's mm-hmm. 400, because it was supposed to be, like, that's the number of people she could fit at, like, her table or something. This is not verified information. 
<laughs> um, but yeah, no, so his family was part of that. So he marries this cigar girl. And then the, the newspapers like went nuts. And it was like, oh my gosh, you know, like he's, you know, working for the people. And like, they're both like just trying to like fix the world. And they had this Cinderella story, hence the title Rebel Cinderella. So they are part of the Socialist Party. They're campaigning for all the, they like are friends with Emma Goldman and um, Eugene Debs. And they like, oh, and Margaret Sanger, like all of these people who are like, oh, of course, that person and that person and just really uh, like celebrities, um, particularly in New York. But everyone loves Rose Pastor Stokes because she is an extremely good speaker. Her husband is not. And kind of um, over time, they start uh, having diverging views. He starts going much more towards the side of like his moneyed friends. And eventually, um, they ended up getting divorced. And she kind of like went off and kept doing her own radical thing. It's a really fascinating story. I really loved reading it. The author also wrote King Leopold's Ghost, if his name sounded familiar. So he's he's very, very good at, at telling a story about a, uh, a powerful central figure. Um, but again, that is Rebel Cinderella from Rags to Riches to Radical by Adam Hawkschild. Ooh, that sounded really, really good. Ooh. Good pick. That sounds awesome. All right. I have um, one more quick book to talk about for March, um, and that is called My Sister, How One Sibling's Transition Changes Both by Salinas and Marisol Leva. Um, and so this is a dual memoir by adopted siblings. Um, they grew up together, and then um, at one point, one of them realized that she was transgender. And so Marisol transitioned, and these two sisters found a way to kind of support each other through um, that experience and then continuing on with their lives. So um, this one is cool because it's told in alternate chapters, um, and it explores issues of violence and abuse and discrimination that trans people and women of color, and particularly trans women of color, experience. Um, and it's about kind of these two women um selena slava is an, an actress um i can't remember what she has been in but i recognized her face when i saw it on the cover um but it's about kind of them coming into their own lives and becoming to be learning to be their authentic selves um and it's a story about kind of um watching a loved one transition and how um people taking control of their gender and sexual identities can learn to um interact with each other and support each other in, in various ways so this is another one that I haven't picked up and been able to read yet, but I really um, think it looks great, and I wanted to make sure to recommend it as we're talking about um, new books for March. Okay, so uh, just want to add that the reason that that actress looks familiar is she was Gloria in Orange is the New Black, which is a show I have not finished watching, but is really good. <laughs> as of season two, I think that's when I stopped. Excellent. Awesome. Thank you for filling in that excellent information. All right. And so with that, we will transition into our kind of weekly theme for this week. Uh, and so we decided, given the world, uh, it, it would be interesting to talk about uh, books that we would read in a quarantine. So if you are stuck at home or haven't or are choosing to be at home to protect yourself and others, what are the kinds of books that might be good to read during this time? So I feel like we both took this a little bit different directions um, with maybe some like comfort reads and then some ambitious reads. Uh, is that fair? Yeah, I kind of so Kim is is very on top of things and usually fills out our show notes first. So <laughs> I tried to sort of follow your lead on that in terms of types of picks. Um, but yeah, we have some we have some splits there. But overall, some commonalities, I would say. 
Yeah, I think it's generally like books that we might read as comfort reads and then books that seem a little ambitious um, if you're at home and have lots of time and want to like take on something challenging, maybe. But I think maybe we'll start with comfort reads because that's where my brain is super at right now. Um, And I feel like maybe I'm like saying a thing that I have said a million times before, but one of the most comforting kinds of nonfiction that I have read in the last several years is Obama administration memoirs. Um, I find them so soothing because it's just like back when the world made sense and whether you like agree or disagree with President Obama politically, like I do not think you can like he was calming, (laughs) you know, like you never felt like things were out of control, really, like things were good. And he seemed like a competent leader who had things together. And so I find going back and reading about that time, very comforting. So there are two Obama administration memoirs that I actually like have in my possession right now that I was like, that is what I should read. That's what I want to read right now. Um, And so the first one was uh, The Education of an Idealist, a memoir by Samantha Power. Um, And she was a uh, Obama administration official um, who she was, she's from uh, Dublin originally. And she was kind of an activist as a younger person. And then eventually she joined the Obama administration as Obama's human rights advisor. And then in 2013, she became the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. And she was the youngest uh, American to have that role ever. Um, And so she writes about kind of that journey from being an immigrant to a war correspondent to being in the cabinet um, and tries to answer the question, what can a person do? Um, And calls for, this is a quote from the jacket, a clearer eye, a kinder heart, and a more open and civil hand in our politics and daily lives. Um, And so she kind of just tells her story and about what it was like to be um, a diplomat in a really high stakes time and as part of that administration. Um, And I, this is a really big, thick one. And so I think that's why I keep not picking it up, but now seems like uh, maybe a good time to do that because it is, it looks like it is comforting and the reviews for it are all really good. So that is the first one. Uh, And then my second Obama administration book that I have right now is called West Wingers, Stories from the Dream Chasers, Changemakers, and Hope Creators Inside the Obama White House by Gautam Raghavan. And it's a collection of essays from 18 Obama staff members. So one of them is a married gay staffer pushing the president for marriage equality. There's a senior aide working to implement the Affordable Care Act. There's a Muslim advisor uh, accompanying the president to a mosque and just all kinds of young people who are part of the Obama administration at sort of lower levels. Um, So not like direct access to the president, but kind of in the administration doing good work. And so they are just like the people who make government run. And it kind of looks at their stories through major events and accomplishments of the administration. Um, And it is a book that the book calls an aspiring call to arms for public service and a testament to the possibility of change. Um, And I think that um, I actually have read a few of these and they're really, they're very diverse. There's a lot of different perspectives and people who came to the administration with different goals and ideas and are coming kind of up against the um, the challenges of being in a bureaucracy in different ways, but it's all really interesting. So uh, that is West Wingers, Stories from the Dream Chasers, Changemakers, and Hope Creators Inside the Obama White House by Gutam Raghavan. Um, I find your enduring love of Obama-era <laughs> <laughs> Obama memoirs to be uh, very endearing, Kim. So never lose that. I every time I read one, I'm like, I love this. Why don't I just only read these? <laughs> I mean, I get it. Uh, I think it was more like he, he just wasn't in the news all the time, and it yes. can be a little 
exhausting to have uh, your leader constantly in the news. But um, unless you love that kind of thing, in which case, you know, live your life. It was funny you mentioned that that pushing Obama towards gay marriage thing because I mm. remember living in that time and <laughs> I remember it being very frustrating that he was not saying anything. And then in my memory, and maybe this is wrong, um, Biden basically spoke out of turn in an interview and was like, of course we support marriage equality. And then there was like a scramble at the White House. <laughs> And, like, really soon after that, um, he came out for it because it was a, oh, if you will, um, because uh, it was was a very divisive topic. And, you know. Yes. Yeah, the essay about that is one of the first ones in the book, and it does talk about that, like, how slow the administration was to get there and kind of what – um, what it felt like to be someone who um, during the campaign really felt like Obama was going to make these big changes and then – just didn't really for a time um and so it's a it's about that too interesting um okay so i opted for uh, my general comfort read thing um to go with comedic memoirs uh if you are a regular listener to the podcast you know that that is my sort of area that i tend to to go towards i've read a lot of them i tried to pick some different ones um this time that i've talked about before which um kim i believe you also did which is impressive how many obama memoirs are there (laughs) alice there are so many there are so many those are just two that are like on my bookshelves right now but like oh my god there are so many of them that you could pick i have definitely talked about um education of idealists before but i don't know that i've talked about the other one oh well uh, my apologies then i think that it was Just the stellar and new way that you discussed it. <laughs> um, okay, so my my uh, my first comedic memoir pick of the two is Agora Fabulous, Dispatches from My Bedroom by Sarah Benincasa. I thought it was very appropriate for the times. Um, so Sarah Benincasa, I actually found out about her in like 2008 because she did a very funny Sarah Palin impression on YouTube and um, started sort of following her career via that. And then she came out with a book and I was extremely delighted because she's very, um, she's very smart and she's very funny. Um, She's a very good writer. So Agora Fabulous is um, about her time, basically it discusses her battle with agoraphobia um, as a young woman, which was also kind of, um, there's a trigger warning for an eating disorder in this book, but so it was kind of paired with that. So she was struggling with these things, but so she, she's, she makes it very, um, it's very affecting, but it's also very funny at the same time. And it's, I tend not to want to reread books, but as soon as I finished that one, I knew that I was like, I'm gonna, I want to reread this someday because it's, it's really good. And, um, again, it's, she doesn't want to go outside and we, despite wanting to go outside currently, (laughs) uh, are highly discouraged from doing so. So, um, talks about that, but yeah, no, I think she has, I think she had a second book come out recently that I haven't read yet but anyway agora fabulous by sarah benincasa the other one i have not read however i ordered it from my local store like a bookstore today um because they are doing shipping oh yeah look up your local indie store mm-hmm. and find out if they will ship to you because a lot of them are doing very cheap shipping so um this is called everything's trash but it's okay by phoebe robinson wow um, that is like on the nose i know <laughs> <laughs> it was 
when I saw the title, Everything's Trash, But It's Okay, I was like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. And I started reading it and it was really funny. So I just, that's why I bought it immediately. But um, so she is the uh, co-star of Two Dope Queens, Phoebe Robinson. Um, she had a, a previous book that I have not read, but um, this is another sort of essay collection. It's about gender and race and dating and the quote, dumpster fire that is our world, which um, Roxane Gay said, everything may indeed be trash, but writing like this reminds us that we're going to make it through all the terrible things with honesty, laughter, and faith, which I was like, oh my gosh, this is balm for my soul at this very moment. Um, And yeah, so if you just want like someone being like, yeah, everything sucks, like it sucks right now, but eventually it's going to be fine. Um, Check out this book. Again, it is called Everything's Trash, But It's Okay by Phoebe Robinson. Excellent. Those are both really good picks. So then the other kind of book we talked about, like, that you might potentially read during a quarantine is a book that you have been putting off for a really long time uh, for whatever reason. So um, I have one of those, uh, and it is called uh, The Recovering, Intoxication and Its Aftermath by Leslie Jameson. Um, and I have talked about Leslie Jameson on the podcast before because I love her. She, I, I've read both of her essay collections, um, but The Recovering is a memoir, and um, I bought it when it came out, and... Um, Um, I just haven't read it and I don't totally know why I've been putting it off other than like it seems thick and when you pick it up, it's very heavy and it's somehow intimidating to me. (laughs) So um, yeah, there we are. So uh, this book, it's a mix of memoir, cultural history, literary criticism and reporting uh, looking at um, addiction. And so it takes the – just even the idea of an addiction narrative and kind of looks at it in a completely new way. Um, And so she, Leslie Jameson, writes about her, um, I believe it's alcoholism, um, and she looks at the stories we tell about addiction, um, the whole, like, history of the recovery movement, the ways race and class affect um, our understandings of addiction and who is a criminal and who isn't. Um, She connects her story to other writers and artists whose life and work were affected by alcoholism and substance dependence and um, just kind of all about those things. So it is a memoir and it is essay-ish in the way that I really love her writing, but it's all about addiction and recovery. And um, yeah, I I think I like pre-ordered it and it came the day it came out and then I just never read it. Uh, And I think something about it is just a little bit intimidating to me. Um, And I think maybe a quarantine is a time when uh, if my brain was not quite so frazzled from everything else might be a good time to sort of sit down and really like be in that place with her because I just think her writing and her like way of seeing the world is so interesting so um, that is The Recovering Intoxication and Its Aftermath by Leslie Jameson If I had a dime for every book that I had to immediately rush out and buy and then (laughs) never opened I'd probably have like seven dimes Um, (laughs) Okay so my, my sort of what are we terming this book that a long a long book that I've put off reading. <laughs> that's, yes, that's, that's how the I put it in there. Title. <laughs> um, okay, so is Guns, Germs, and Steel: The Fates of Human Societies by Jared M. Diamond. I mean, uh, this book it it won the the Pulitzer, it won the Phi Beta Kappa Award in Science, which sounds very impressive, and um, is generally it's always on those lists of like you know mm-hmm. books to read 
And um, I started it a couple summers ago and I was like, wow, this is really good. And then it's on my bookshelf again. So I was thinking, I was like, oh gosh, we're stuck inside. I have time to just kind of keep going through a book and not like get distracted or be like, it's too heavy and I don't want to bring it in my bag because where I'm not, I haven't picked up a purse in like two weeks. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, what is the general? You probably want to know what it's about. Okay, so Jared Diamond argues that uh, geographical and environmental factors are in fact what, like why the world is what it is today. And so um, societies that had like a head start in food production were um, able to go way beyond like the hunter-gatherer stage and then they like developed religion and then all, and then they basically became like, you know, um, colonizers and all of this stuff. So he... They say that it it stunningly dismantles racially based theories of human history, which is a fun phrase. I mean, of, of a horrible thing. But um, he mainly talks about non-Europeans, but he talks about why Western civilization became hegemonic, which um, I just it, – it basically ta- – it's like these huge concepts, right? And the reason I think that one of the reasons it won the Pulitzer is that he's breaking down these enormous ways of being into pretty understandable – um, theories and like not like overly simplified theories, but just kind of like, okay, so like A to B to C, like this all makes sense, like tracking it. I tried reading some of the negative, like really highly rated negative reviews of this online, and they were all basically like, this is a bunch of social justice warrior <laughs> crap. <laughs> and those were the ones that had like, it was like 200 people approved of this. And I was like, okay, this doesn't seem like an actually uh, scientific way of debunking this. <laughs> So um, the the sort of really well-regarded seeming reviewers, meaning it was like top whatever reviewer, were um, praising it extremely. And it seems like it has stood the test of time. I'm really excited to get more into it. So again, that is Guns, Germs, and Steel, The Fates of Human Societies by Jared M. Diamond. Excellent. And I just have one more book to mention because as I was kind of deciding, like, what books might I read in a quarantine if the world were ideal, um, this book, like, popped out in my head and I thought, yes, that is that is what we should all be doing right now. So uh, the book is called How to Do Nothing, Resisting the Attention Economy by Jenny O'Dell. Um, and it is a book that basically makes an argument about why doing nothing may be our most important form of resistance. And so it is about how we do not have to be productive and we do not have to be efficient and why doing nothing um, sort of in the face of capitalism and everything and really figuring how to focus our attention is really like a valuable and important thing that we can do. And so she argues that we can undertake bold forms of action, reimagine our role in the environment and have more meaningful understandings of happiness and progress if we can start kind of paying attention to how we use our attention and where we put it. Um, And I think that, I don't know, something about this just felt like a book that might be good for a lot of people to read right now, uh, myself included, because we're in this position where we're sort of being forced to step back in some ways um, and like not be interacting with the world in sort of this frantic way that we often do or seem like we have always been. And so like we're being forced to be inefficient and unproductive and just like stop. Um, And I wonder if this book might have something to say about that and maybe some guidance about um, how to re-enter the world, I guess, after kind of this moves, after we move past all of this, like how do we kind of re-enter the world and sort of reform all of the things that we have talked about? 
You know, like, do you know what I mean? Like, things are going to yeah. be different after we're finally out of this. And, like, how do we want the world to be different when we get to go back into it, I guess? Um, and this, this book feels like it has something to say about that. So that was one of the reasons I kind of thought about picking it up. Um, yeah. So those are some books we are thinking of reading while we're in quarantine. I would love to hear what other people are actually reading right now because um, I – like I said before, I've really struggled to pick up books. Like, it just hasn't been where my brain is. And so I would love to hear what other people are reading. You can email us at forreal at bookriot.com. <laughs> or get us on, on social media, that too. Um, all right. So we will close with um, what we're, <laughs> funnily enough, what we're reading right now, uh, which for me is nothing. But I did uh, get an order from my local independent bookstore today. And one of the books that arrived was called um, American Spy by Lauren Wilkerson, which is fiction. And it is a book set in 1986 during the Cold War. And it's about a woman named Marie, who is an intelligence officer with the FBI. Um, She's talented and brilliant, but also a young black woman in an old boys club. And so she is given an opportunity to join a go undercover in Burkina Faso. And um, it's all kind of about that. So it's a gripping spy thriller starring a young black woman in the Cold War. And I think it's going to sound, it sounds really good. So I'm excited to read it finally. That's exciting. Um, I'm reading The Garlic Papers, a small <laughs> garlic farm in the age of global vampires by Stanley Crawford. This is, um, there was a Netflix documentary called Garlic Breath uh, that I have not watched yet, but it's, this is that same story, which is basically, um, he was asked as a small garlic producer in New Mexico, he was asked to um, take part of this whole like, okay, so once a year, any domestic garlic producer can request that the U.S. Department of Commerce reviews any or all importers of garlic. And there was this basically like large um, company in China that was undercutting domestic garlic prices and so he ended up asking for this review and he got all these lawyers on him and it was like this huge battle and all this stuff because and he's like this tiny little garlic farm and it's so it's um very it's a it's an interesting story he's funny and he's an interesting guy it's like a really short little book so um i'm excited to continue it but yeah that's the garlic papers that sounds real funny. I like that subtitle. I'm excited to watch the documentary eventually. But anyway, with that, you can find us on social media. Tell us what you're reading right now in the face of quarantine or whatever your situation is at the moment. Um, I am at It's Alice Time and Kim is at Kim the Dork. And if you have a few minutes and are so inclined, please take a few minutes to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Uh, that helps people find us more easily. And while you are there, you can subscribe so you'll get new episodes the very minute that they come out. And so with that, I am Kim Ugra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast. 